0: So I'm just going to be real honest with you. Sometimes when you preach, uh, it doesn't entirely go how you plan. And uh, I got sort of waylaid in the middle of our sermon last week. And, um, and so I didn't get to spend enough time on Genesis 3:14 and 15. Uh, there's a real reason we selected, I selected that passage for Easter because it points straight ahead to the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, but I was only able to make a couple comments because I got waylaid in the middle. So there's that. We're going to look at it again this morning. If you missed it last week, you don't have to miss it today. And uh, if you're here last week, well, there's more for you. So, um, you know, the word of God is so good because we could spend so much time uh, on just a few verses here and there, and we never exhaust learning about the God we love, and the more we learn about him, and the more we surrender to him, uh, he helps us love him much more, much more deeply, much more widely in the body of Christ. So we'll read this morning, Genesis 3:14 through 24. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust of it you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will certainly multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the, eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the man called his the name of his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat, uh, eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. One of the things we're going to see, friends, today, our main point for this morning, is that God brings curses and consequences for sin, and yet he covers us by his grace. God brings curses and consequences for sin, and yet he covers us by his grace. I'll be honest with you. One of the things that we as a people struggle with uh, very frequently over and over again in varying degrees and in different ways is what is the balance between truth and grace? And I'll be honest with you. If we get it wrong, we're just on biblical period. So that's what we always want to be striving for. Right. Grace is always filled with truth and truth must always be gracious. Sometimes we go to the, to the extreme of saying, you know, we just want to be gracious to everybody. We know grace is undeserved kindness, and so we, we want to be gracious. We want to be kind, a synonym for grace to everyone. We should just love everyone. We should just accept everyone. Well, what's often unsaid in that is we should accept and, and, and welcome everyone and just let them stay as they are. And that's where the assumption becomes wrong, unbiblical, even sinful. Do we welcome everyone? Absolutely well, what if they don't have enough knowledge of the God Bible? Who cares? Come in and let's all get some together. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Well, they're not very well put together. Well, they've got a habit. They've got a herd. They've got a hang-up. Doesn't matter. Come to the life-giving water of Jesus. Hear, believe, and let your heart be healed be saved, and then experience the joy of learning slowly, imperfectly, two steps forward and one step back, or two steps forward and five steps back sometimes, how to follow Jesus. See, there's a mixture of truth and grace. That's beautiful because it's the picture of who God is. And that's what God has called us to display amongst one another so that a watching world will see what God's love actually looks like. If we go too far to the side of grace, just, I mean, I'm using the word grace. It's actually not grace. It's just, uh, it's just uh, people pleasing or it's, you know, something, it's some idle form of, well, we don't want to tell people they're wrong because they might leave. Well, then we're not trusting God with his word to do work in their hearts. You see, not everybody comes in and hears the gospel of Jesus is going to stay. And it's not all just because Pastor Matt turned on his mic in between songs or or I don't know what happened in there. I think I was trying to join the worship team and sing in harmony with you guys or something. But I heard myself in between songs say, amen. And I was like, "Nope, my mic's on. You know, we just laugh it off when we roll with it. We say, this is your church, Lord, you'll build it. We're just going to keep following you and growing in you. But we don't have to worship the idea that everyone who comes is going to stay. Because sometimes the Lord God pricks their heart and they don't want it. In fact, you might have gotten pretty good at religion. And you used to hear the Lord God pricking your heart, and now it's just turned into a very dull, maybe even an annoying message you hear quite often. Why do they got to keep harping on this gospel thing? We pray for God to change heart, to bring repentance. If we go too much on the the truth side, well, then we just end up setting rules and regulations, which in fact, brothers and sisters, not actually truth at all. And it's not a message that's spoken with love, because it's a message that can be spoken, that that seeks to help people live up to a standard that we have decided to be good. It may be adding to the words of scripture, what's required for salvation or living a godly life quote unquote. And it's another form of idolatry, this time an idolatry of rule following or laws, legal, legal uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Becoming legalistic, right? But let's be clear. Loving God and his word, recognizing that we've been saved and trying to hold up what the Bible holds up as how we're supposed to live our lives. Friends, that is not legalistic. That's a mixture of truth and grace coming together with a very clear message and encouraged by very clear love by the body of Christ. And so it can be hard to know, you know, how do we walk this? Because we know that we're not going to do it naturally. We need the spirit's help and we need the help of one another. And this becomes clear. This is helpful for us to see this as we look at, uh, as we look at Genesis 3 in this section here. In 14 and 15, we see the curse that God gives to the serpent. Now, it's, a, it's sort of a dual curse, if you will. There is a real curse that happens to uh, serpents or snakes. A lot of debate about whether they had legs and got to them. That stuff actually doesn't matter for our conversation. We know that what, what happened in God's curse remains to this day. These serpents live in defeat. The constant reminder of being defeated because... Because Satan got in there and used this animal for his purposes. And so the second part of that double curse is for Satan, which is where we'll spend our time this morning. What we see right out of the gates, our first point, is that God reveals the proto-evangelium in his response to sin. Now, just, I know, that word is a big word, okay? Uh, I'll just, it means first, gospel. You can probably see the word evangelism in there almost, right? First gospel. Gospel, that's what theologians call the Proto-Evangelium. You don't have to remember that word, but it comes out right out of the gates here in Genesis 3.15. It's a Latin word that means first gospel. So remembering back early in chapter 3, Satan deceived Eve, who was not yet called Eve, by the way, by tempting her with the forbidden fruit. And this fruit represented what we see later in the New Testament. She saw, the Bible tells us, that it was good for food first John calls that the lust of the flesh, that it was a delight to the eyes. First John calls that lust of the eyes, as you might imagine, and that it was desired to make one wise. This is called the pride of life. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. I need to pause and read that sentence again. And I just need to ask how much you love the world. How much you love the things of the world. If anyone loves the Father, the love of the... I'm sorry, the world. It's important. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Or, or the world system, or from Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air, or, or this world, still certainly under God's control. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God bides forever. So here the Lord curses Satan. We're going to see this morning, curses and consequences. The curse means that he's banished from God's blessing. We've seen earlier in Genesis, God has blessed. He blessed Adam and Eve, said, be fruitful and multiply. God put a lifelong enmity between Satan's offspring and Eve's offspring. You say, wait a minute, God did what? It wasn't just the natural result of, no. God said, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. God put it there. We can feel it today. We wake up in the morning and we're faced with, oh, I have so much to get get done. I need to get up. I need to get in the shower. I need to eat breakfast. I need to get about my day. Wait, 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 wait. What about spending a few minutes with the Father. That'd be so good for our souls. I know, but I've got so much. There's spiritual warfare for it right there. Before our feet hit the floor, our eyelids open, maybe. Mine don't always open right away. And we're faced with a challenge. Right? Now, I, I, I might be legalistic. Like I said, if you're sinning, if you don't have your quiet time first thing in the morning, it'd be great to have it early in the morning. But I don't always have mine first thing in the morning. That's not the point. We want to be in the word and growing in Christ. But we can feel that spiritual warfare between us and between the devil. It's all over the Old Testament. It's all over the New Testament, which is why God in Ephesians, through the Apostle Paul, reminds us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan's a deceiver. He wants us to believe that our battle, I thought I was going to spill that there, uh, that our battle's against one another. Oh, how easy it is, right? When we we get into an argument with someone, someone that you love deeply, that you spend the most time with, or someone that you don't see that much, but they just irritate you and get on your nerves. And you know what? Rather than building a relationship and working through it, it's just easier to sit on the other side. And we forget We hold on to unforgiveness. We hold on to all kinds of things. We forget that Satan is kind of proverbially there going, I just have to keep them 30 feet apart for 20 years. We're not waging war against one another unless we choose to keep waging war against one another. We wage war against the devil. But we can walk in the spirit, surrender to the spirit, Initiate some difficult conversations and see God do wonderful work in his body, in the body of Christ. Jesus reminds us that the devil is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I I forgot an important word there. Who comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10. He's the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing. This is why I mentioned not everybody's going to come in these doors, it's going to stay. So they can hear it, but not hear it. He blinds their, minds, uh, their eyes from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there, right? Early in Genesis, we see that in speaking of the curse, God promises ultimate his ultimate coming and victory through the redeemer Jesus Christ. All right? This is why the this this topic, this passage looks forward to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is where we begin to see, now it's not un, it's not completely unfolded here in Genesis chapter 3, but we begin to see the foreshadowing that God would send his son. We just don't know all the language for it here yet, but looking back throughout salvation history, we can We can see it very clearly. He's looking forward to a time here when he tells the uh, the serpent that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's actually kind of confusing that way, but you think about it. He, he, He shall, you shall bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. He will crush your head, which is what Jesus did at the cross. His very dying is in accordance with the prophecy in Isaiah 53.5. He is bruised for our iniquities. Jesus satisfied the requirements of God's holiness. He died for the sin of Adam, and he died for the sin that you and I have committed. Committed. First Corinthians fifteen twenty-two reminds us, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Isn't that wonderful, friends? We, we can't talk about it very long today, but this is the doctrine theologians call penal substitutionary atonement. Those words matter. Because some will try to tell you that it's not the wrath of God that actually needs to be satisfied, but it very truly is. Penal substitutionary atonement means there's a penalty, there's a price to be paid. And Jesus stood in our place. And when he died on the cross, God made a legal declaration, a legal uh, judgment that everyone who trusts in him will be forgiven their sins. You don't have to prop yourself up. You don't have to prep yourself. You don't have to live a good life for six months before you come to Jesus. You come to him now. In fact... Well, I don't want to say that. Uh, In fact, you just come to him now. You say, wherever I'm at, I'm going to come to Jesus. I'm going to throw off the restraints. I'm going to fall in the grace of Jesus that says, I've got nothing to bring to the cross. Absolutely nothing. But Jesus said, if you will believe in me, you will be saved. Now that belief is sort of a a, 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 a cognitive, a, a mental understanding of what the gospel is. Not in all of its many details, but that God is holy very clear that I'm not holy. Jesus died in my place. And if I will believe that is true, turn from myself to Jesus. He will save me. Mark it down. Everybody in this room lies or deceives somebody at some point in time in their life. Jesus never lies. Every promise that God makes is true. And you can bank your life on it. Isaiah 14 says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you, uh, some translations say a sign. It really should be the sign. One, one man, Jesus Christ. Actually, I was preaching that theology, but I read it wrong. I have to correct it, but it's still true. He will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin is what I meant to say. <laughs> shall conceive and she will bear a son who is Jesus and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Commentator Henry Morris says it like this as he explains that, right? The definite article, just the word the, instead of the word a, right? There is a way to heaven. There is one way to heaven or the way to heaven. There's a very clear difference between a and the. There has been one virgin who will conceive, who did conceive and bore the son of God, and we call his name Emmanuel. And this is that Protoevangelium, evangelium the first gospel revelation. Secondly, God gives Adam and Eve consequences rather than curses. This is, this is massive, friends. Adam and Eve received consequences rather than curses. The serpent received a curse. And you'll see in a few minutes here that the ground received a curse. Adam and Eve received consequences. If you've sinned in your life, I want you to just raise your hand for me for a second. Yep, this should be everybody. Even little kids. You ever been really mad at something you shouldn't have been mad at? We should all be raising our hand, right? We've all sinned. We've all experienced the curses, I'm sorry, the consequences of our sin, right? Eve's consequences are twofold, right? She would uh, have increased, the word is multiply in the ESV, increased pain and childbearing and a desire to dominate her husband, I know I'm getting kind of, I know I I see it. I I can't even look at anybody right now because I see all around the room, all the guys are going, I told you she'll have pain in childbearing. Some of the obvious things we think of, but think of every other kind related to childbearing beyond just the gift or the gift, well, it is a gift, but the pain of actually delivering a child, right? There's all kinds of pain in childbearing, right? Many women have died giving birth. Children have died, have experienced stillbirths, or those who are barren would love to be able to have a child but can't. Friends, that consequence is far-reaching. It's painful. And in his love, God did not remove every consequence from sin. If you sin in your life today, God will forgive you. God will save you or restore the relationship that you have with him. But the consequences remain. And in many ways, you ought to think of that as God's kindness to remind you, to remind me of looking to him and trusting in him fully, ever thankful for the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. It would be untrue. It would not be truth in grace or grace with truth to think, well, if God really loved me, he would take away the consequences. Just put yourself in your parenting shoes for a moment and ask yourself that question. In fact, one of the things that I will say to my kids, I mean, hypothetically, right? If they ever got in trouble, that I just forgot. I know. And it's my job to help you remember. I'm not angry at you. But as I stand before God, you see, in the same way that you've disobeyed us, I could choose to disobey God and just let it go. But if I want to obey God, I can't just let it go. I need to help you remember. We grieve when we think about pain and childbearing. Why? Well, because that's not how it's supposed to be. And we feel life in this world, we feel the pain, Because it's not how it's supposed to be. But think about this. Even through the pain of childbearing, even through the consequences of Eve's sin, comes the Redeemer, Jesus. Many years later, the Son of God would come. From the mother of all the living, Eve. Second aspect of her consequence is that she would desire to dominate her husband. Right? The word desire is is used in 4 7 of Genesis when the Lord tells Cain, Sin's desire is almost personifying sin right here. Sin's desire is contrary to you or to win over you, but Cain, you must rule over it. You must. Subject your desire for sin into control or into surrender, maybe. It means that the, 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 uh, the one flesh, beautiful one flesh relationship that God created and gave to Adam and Eve is going to be a struggle for every day forward. And both Adam and Eve war against this struggle. And Adam ruled over Eve. Now now guys, ladies, it's your turn. Cross your arms and look over. Because Adam and Adam didn't get this right. You see, Adam's part of that consequence is that Adam would rule over Eve. That is different than loving, God honoring servant leadership. rather than lead our wives with biblical tenderness, with servanthood men, we have sinfully sought to rule over them. And here's what I mean. You ever been in a conversation where you're just frustrated how things are going on in your household? Frustrated with your wife because it's always her fault, never yours. I mean, I am right there with you, let me tell you. And rather than love and serve and care for her, to sort of, through servant-heartedness, woo her her heart back to the Lord and let the Lord take care of it? Oh, man. That look. That slight tone of voice that says, you will do what I say. And we kind of laugh, but we know we shouldn't. In some relationships, it's gone really, really badly. And of course, we're not ever, when we ever talk about the godly relationship of, of love and honor, respect and submission, we're, we're never talking about uh, putting any, any woman in any sort of um, abuse kind of relationship. It needs to be said. It needs to be said because God's design for headship and submission is actually quite good. It's beautiful. It's perfect. The problem is we've just perverted it. We've just gone way farther than what God has told us to in how we're to love and honor and respect and serve. Right? There's a there's a massive gulf between ruling over and lovingly leading in the way God intended. We're not saying that the relationship, the picture of of men lovingly leading their wives and women uh, being help meets. That's an old old-fashioned word anymore. But uh, coming along as his helper to help him and them pursue the desire of fulfilling God's call on his life, on their life as a family. This is a beautiful picture. We're not saying anything against that. We're saying they both blew it. And to this day, we blow it almost daily. We all need to hear it. We need to repent. We need to strive by God's grace because of Jesus to live lovingly as the Lord intended, right? With biblical, loving Jesus-centered, servant-loving, leadership, and humble, godly, beautiful submission out of a love for Jesus. And church, we're to help equip and encourage one another in marriages that look like this. You want to know what will bring a watching world to see and love Jesus, whether it's at this church or any other church, is men and women who are helping each other live in the way that God called us, with truth and grace And responding, being humble to hear it, being humble to take it, and let God break our hearts for where we're wrong, and know that we don't have to hide like Adam and Eve. If if I can't see him, he can't see me. No. We're naked before a God who knows and sees all, and yet who didn't blot us off the planet the moment they took a bite of that fruit, which he would have had every right to do. So Adam's consequences, because he listened to the voice of Eve, right, we see that exact phrase in verse 17. In fact, the Lord starts that way. His first words to Adam, he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now, men, this doesn't mean... We don't ever have to seek wisdom from our wives because let me tell you, we need it. But it also means we love the Lord above our wives. And if our wives are wooing us to something that we know is against scripture, that we know is ungodly, we better deal with the difficulty of it and keep our heart committed to the Lord Jesus. Well, she wants to, well, that's been the problem from the beginning because you listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. You see his failure in leadership there. No, Eve, we can't. Yeah, but it looks really good. We cannot look at all this beautiful paradise that God has given us. Okay, I'll have a bite too. Eve sinned, sinned through the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and pride of life, and and so did Adam, as he desired the same things. But he wanted her to be happy more than God, and so God curses the ground for it. Right. So several things to note here: the ground is cursed. Right, This is the second curse. He cur- curses the serpent and he curses the ground. The whole of creation is cursed. But do you see God's grace right here? Adam and Eve are given consequences. The curse of the earth results in it bringing forth thorns and thistles. Everything now about farming, about planting, about hobby gardening, of which I am not a fan, let me just tell you. becomes harder now. I mean, don't get me wrong, I think people need to do it, but I like the meme that just talked about how many hours you spend into growing a tomato plant to save $1.23. You know? Like 195 hours, and you saved a twenty-three. Good jobs. I laughed a little too hard when I read that. <laughs> Maybe I'm just lazy. Now it's difficult to get the ground to yield food. Everything about it is hard. You see, Adam worked before the curse. He tended the garden. He worked and he kept the garden. It's good. When I was in college, I misunderstood this. And I used to make jokes like, I got to go to work today because she ate of that fruit. No, no, they were to work the garden and tend it and keep it. And it was good. And they walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. We're created to work. We're called to work. Work can be redeemed. God uses your, your relationships, your friendships to work. The way that he connects you with other people in your place of employment, whether it's working the ground or or, or working another kind of job to provide for your family, the Lord uses those relationships. But the joy is is not entirely stripped away, certainly, but it's diminished in some way. Job gives an example here in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 7. Has not man a hard service on earth, and are not his days like the days of a hired hand? Like a slave who longs for the shadow, like a hired hand who works for his wages. Works hard. Works hard. Second part of the curse is that man will physically die. I am reminded of this very frequently when I uh, conduct funerals, whether it's for members of our church family or whether it's for someone in, in town, of which I had the opportunity to do even this week. I'm thankful for the opportunities it gives me each and every time to be able to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to grieving families. Death's not a respecter of persons. It comes to everyone. It doesn't matter how, how rich you are, how connected you are. It doesn't matter your status, your, your family line. It doesn't matter the job you have. It does not matter how many days you walked into this or any other church. Death is coming for you. It's coming to everyone. I will say, if you've lost somebody recently, I, I don't intend to be insensitive in any way. But friends, it's a reality that death is death is coming. We say, well, I'll get right with God tomorrow. You might not have tomorrow. And that's not manipulation. It's just a plain fact. We do not know when the Lord will call and end our life because he is the one who gives life and he's the one who takes it away. And if you're here under the, under the sound of my voice today, under the perfect, beautiful, wonderful, saving word of God, give your life to Jesus today, I pray. If you're a Christian who's, who's wandering from the truths of the gospel of Jesus, come back to Jesus today. If you've got a relationship that struggles and it's struggling and you're not doing your part, you can't heal a relationship with two sides, but you can do your part. As much as is possible with you, live at peace among all. Death come, came to all mankind because of Adam and Eve's sins, and it reigns over man and over creation, Romans 5 tells us. Every man, Romans 5, 18, is condemned, and all men are made sinners. And friends, I just want you to think about the extra noise that we get to hear and hear with children. I know the, feel, the feeling, parents, right? When your kid seems to be getting a little out of hand, I know the feeling, you just need to know that we love it. Not the struggle, but the noise. We we, we love the, the moving around or, oh, they got out into the aisle. We don't care. Because every child needs Jesus. And there have been times when my children, years ago when they were young, it's hard to know what they're hearing or what they're listening to. I mean, my kids are, you know, they like to have things keeping their hands busy, which is why we provide those bags back there. And years later, he said, One of my kids said, oh, I remember that. He was talking about a car that day. I was like, they hear, they hear, they watch you worship. What a great opportunity you have to show them what it looks like to just throw your arms up or proverbially just give your whole heart to the Lord as you worship Jesus. Right? We pray they're not looking at parents or church family or just going through the motions. What a sad lesson we'd be teaching. Jesus came, he became a curse for us, redeeming us from the curse of the law, which is now coming to play early in Genesis, but it's before Exodus and the Ten Commandments. But the law's there, it just hasn't been clarified, taught to us, to train us how far amiss we are. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Pastor Stephen Cole describes it very succinctly with about six bullet points. He says, Sin brought pain to childbirth, and no one knew more pain than Jesus did when he, when he through his suffering, brought, so, brought many sons to glory, Hebrews 2.10. Sin brought conflict, and Jesus endured great conflict to bring our salvation, Hebrews 12.3. Uh, The thorns came with sin and the fall, and Jesus endured a crown of thorns to bring our salvation. John 19, 2 says, sin brought sweat, and Jesus sweat, as it were, with great drops of blood to win our salvation. Luke 22, 44 says, and sin brought sorrow, and Jesus became a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief to save us. Isaiah 53, 5, and sin brought death, and Jesus tasted death for everyone that we might be saved. Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. Friends, in the last few weeks, we have seen the tempter tempt Adam and Eve, and they chose to give in to temptation. Even when she said, well, I was deceived. Well, she's accountable for her allowing herself or even desiring to be deceived because of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the the flesh and the pride of life. Satan tempted her out of it as this this desire we're just talking about for the false promises of worshiping and choosing our own pleasure at the expense of our own good. I can't tell you how many times I've been there myself. I don't preach as the expert. I preach as one who has to depend on Jesus every day of my life. Every moment of my life, every hour of my life, I need to depend on Jesus because the drop of a hat, I might choose to worship myself, choose a temporary desire over the eternal good of God's plan for my life. And so through it all, we can see that God covers us by his grace. Lest you be scared that I'm just getting into my third point, we're going to come back here next week. But it bears saying before we expand on it next week. Because next week you'll see more. And the word more is important. Because by already choosing not to strike Adam and Eve dead, he is already beginning to show us how he is making a way. Because the first gospel is announced. And it's coming. He's coming. And as we look back, He has come, willing to redeem everyone who calls out to him. There's grace on every page, so to speak, of the Bible. So we press in so that we're not conformed. Think of an ice mold for ice cubes in your home. We don't want to be conformed, shaped into, molded into the image of the world. But want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. When Jesus went to Calvary, he became a curse in our place. We received the consequences. Jesus took the curse. Which is why he told the disciples in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Are you sorrowful? When you consider sin, Jesus was, and he never sinned. But he became sin for us he prayed my father if it is possible what a humble disposition lord we really want this house we really want this car i really want this job lord if it's possible if it's your will let this cup pass for me he said only moments later he submits joyfully to the father's will and he says nevertheless not my will but as you will your will be done And then he went and he was tortured grievously. He gave himself, he gave his life, no one took it from him to be hung on the cross. And at the end he said, it is finished. And listen to this phrase, then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I will give my life as a ransom for many on my terms. Because I'm God. Do you believe this? I don't mean do you just believe good thoughts about God. Do you believe that God is good and nice and kind, but but not holy and righteous and deserving of every moment of our day being sold out to him in worship? If that's your confession that God gave him who knew no sin to be sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God. Then come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. Do you have to confess some sin today? Friends, this is a wonderful time to do that. You can stand and worship the moment the worship team begins to play. Or you can sit in your seat because you need to confess your sin and do that. You can stand and confess your sin for that matter. If you have sin that you know you need to confess, the Lord has been weighing heavily on your heart for this out of his love. Confess your sin. Is there a relationship that needs to be stored? Take the first step now, Christian. Don't wait for them to come to you. Follow the pattern of Jesus and go to them. Initiate reconciliation as the Lord has done for us. Jesus even said in Matthew 5:23 and 24, he said, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. If you need prayer, humble yourself. Go against the grain for this individualistic culture and say, I need help. You'll find people who are willing to come around you, support you, encourage you, help you. We're all capable of praying with you. And we're all willing to help. We have three communion stations up front, two here. There's one over here that has gluten-free uh, communion in it, and then we've got two stations in the back. If you uh, want to come forward because you believe these things to be true, we invite you to do that. Um, if you want to remain in your seat for any reason, just lift your hand and some will come and, and bring communion to. We'd love to serve you in that way. All right, let's pray together. Father, we love you for who you are, for the ways that you have loved us before we were ever even able to love us, before we were able even to understand uh, what your love means. You loved us when you gave your life at Calvary, and we praise you. We honor you, and we desire to walk uh, in the in the presence of your peace, obeying you. and And when we fail, and we will, repenting and allowing you to dust us off and come right back home real fast. Thank you for your faithful love that we see all the way throughout the Bible. And we look forward to the day that we will get to be with you in glory for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.